When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Wednesday Bible Study. We're excited. Uh, we are now drawing a very, very close to the end of our word-for-word word study. We've been walking through the Revelation uh, since January of this year. So here we are in month 11 now, uh, and we will be finishing. Uh, we won't finish today. Uh, we should finish next week. Uh, if not, uh, definitely by the by the time uh, November is over, we will be finished. We'll transition from the Revelation to Second Corinthians. We we did a study on First Corinthians. You can go back and find the archive on that. Uh, but we never did go into Second Corinthians because after that we jumped into the Genesis, which was going to be uh, the study prior to the Revelation. So we we're, we've done the beginning. We're going to finish the end, and then we're going to go back and pick up that second letter to the church at Corinth. So that'll be kind of our, our move going forward. This Wednesday Bible study uh, is brought to you by themanchurch.com. This is a men's discipleship strategy uh, that is now being implemented uh, somewhere between eight and 900 churches um, around the country and even in Canada and the Bahamas. So uh, if you are interested in a, a sustainable plan to reach and disciple, disciple the men of your church and your community, we have the resources, we have the plan, and we can help you. And the feedback that we continue to get uh, just uh, continues to encourage us. So it's set up, uh, it, it's twofold. It's high challenge. Uh, that's events and services where we have speakers and teachers that go out and, and get into uh, these gatherings of men. Uh, that's been around for a long time, uh, challenging men, and we need to be challenged. Uh, you cannot reach your disciple men speaking to us like we're women and children. But then we provide an element that has often been missing. Or, or if, if it's even there, usually not something that is sustainable, and that is the equipping or the discipleship part of it. Uh, we provide 40-week uh, curricula. We have four of those ready to go. Uh, we have a fifth one coming out in 2024. Uh, we also have individual resources designed for men in the forms of 40-day devotionals, 31-day devotionals, uh, and we even have other authors who have written great books uh, that are designed and can certainly help uh, individual men, but you really have a hard time. It's kind of clunky turning those books into curriculum. So that's the reason why we designed curriculum uh, for men's ministry, just like you have for all the other ministries in the church. So we have those available. I will tell you this, uh, and I know men, I'm this way. I'm, I'm one of the worst offenders. I'm quick to want to get on the phone with somebody or I want somebody to talk to me, but I will tell you this, and we will do that. But if you will simply go to themanchurch.com and click on Get Started, if you'll just walk through the steps, it will tell you everything about the, the strategy. It'll even launch you into looking at the resources. There's a brief explanation of every curriculum. Uh, it's even a video to tell you what is the theme of that curriculum. Uh, all of that can all of that can be found, and there's a contact button if you want to use some of our speakers for your events or gatherings. All of it's there at themanchurch.com. Go look through all that, and then if you do have any other questions, certainly reach out to us, and we'll help you any way that we can. Some of our services that are coming up, uh, I'll, I'll make you aware of this. Uh, at Birmingham, Alabama, you have a man church um, coming up at my home church, Valleydale. 
uh, Valleydale, Blake Prime from Team Man Church will be speaking. Uh, I'll be there. I'm actually going to be interviewing some of the men who have been in our small group studies, and they're going to talk about the impact that it had on their life. You can then be plugged in to one of the small groups there at my home church on November the 9th. Uh, those details are at themanchurch.com under upcoming events. Then we get into December. There's an opportunity that we're teaming up with Promise Keepers. Uh, we're, we're trying to come alongside because Promise Keepers said the same thing. Hey, we've been challenging men, but we need some resources to equip men. So we're coming alongside them to provide that. Uh, they're going to be in New York City. Daring Faith Conference, an evening with Promise Keepers, uh, and I, I'm, I'm honored to be asked to be on one of the panels that night. I'll be discussing pain and suffering uh, on that panel. But even if you can't get to, to New York City, uh, New York City on December 1st to join us, you can have a live stream for your church. If you'd like to talk to them about that, we have the link for you there also at themanchurch.com. Then on December the 2nd, Government Street Baptist Church, Mobile, Alabama. Brian Dawson from Team Man Church. He's one of our new speakers, just just became part of the team. He'll be speaking with them as they kick off the men's discipleship strategy. If you want to see the 2024 dates, they're there as well if they've been booked and at themanchurch.com. Also, if you just want to come, men and women, because I know women join us for this Bible study, I'll be actually preaching at my home church this Sunday, both services. Uh, you just have to come, men or women. Uh, and uh, if you want to find out those details, just go to valleydale.org. So let's jump in to prayer. And today we'll be in the Revelation chapter 22. We're going to walk through verses 6 through 12. Lord, thank you for today. Help us as we now d- discern through the power of the Holy Spirit the wonderful words of your revelation and ask uh, a tough question today. What's our response? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So that is going to be our question. So Revelation 22, uh, we now know that we, we, are, we have gone through the tribulation. We have gone through the millennial reign. We now know the new heaven and the new earth is, has, is ready. We know the new Jerusalem is ready, and we've talked about that. Uh, we, we talked about that last week, and you're going to see some reoccurring themes. I'm just going to tell some of you. One of the things that I probably have gotten the most questions about, uh, not pushback, but just questions, and most people uh, said, you know, this discussion in Scripture about the rewards in heaven, and there actually apparently seems to be some value in what I actually do with my life after I'm justified that may impact the way I will live in heaven. Now, it doesn't mean you're not going to heaven. We're not, you cannot earn redemption or justification, but there seems to be a running theme throughout Scripture that it does matter how I live my life after I've been justified. It is different if I just knock it out of gear and don't do what Jesus told me to do versus those who are steadfast and do what Jesus told them to do. And some of you who don't apparently seem to like this, you're not going to like today either. Because this theme is going to continue, and you're going to hear phrases that you can't deny, things you can't get around. And then we're going to get to really probably the most important aspect of today's message. What are we supposed to be doing right now? Because Jesus does tell us that in this revelation. Here's what you should be doing until this actually happens. What is our response? You're going to find that it is quite clear. So let's go to, um, to first of all, verses 3 through 5. I'm sorry, not 3 through 5. Let's go through um, Revelation 22, 
And then we'll talk about um, um, these um, – well, I'm sorry, you're right. We are going to go through three through five first. So, so anyway, we talked about that after three through five last week that there will be no need for us to have any more moon or any more sun. And if you remember when I ended last week, we did get this, and night will be no more. There, there will be no need for, for light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. So – one of the things that we do see to start this in, in verses 3 through 5 before we get through six, uh, 6 through 12, the most dramatic change from the present earth is, is there will no longer be any curse uh, because we, we know that they will be noted in, in 21.4, which we've already studied. We know there'll be no sorrow, there'll be no pain, and of course the worst aspect of the curse, there will be no more death. So, so we know that that's what is waiting. And we also know there will be no temple. Okay, we, we know that. Uh, and, and we also know that, uh, that, they, that there will be this, this new Jerusalem that, that we're going to be part of. And we do know that, uh, that this will, uh, will be where the presence of God, there'll be never anything else between us and him. Uh, and, and, and here's the part that he tells us. He says, in that new Jerusalem... God the Father and the Lamb, Jesus, will reign throughout eternity. Look what he says. There will be no need for light or of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and, and, and they will reign forever and ever. That is, the Lamb, the Son, and the Father will reign forever and ever. Okay, that, that, that's important. Okay, and will reign throughout eternity. Now, I know what human beings don't like. We don't like to be told that we will not have a say. We don't like to be told that we're going to be in a dictatorship. Let me give everybody a heads up. The new heaven, the new earth, and the new Jerusalem is a dictatorship. It is not a democracy. It's not a constitutional republic. Uh, Y'all have heard me reference my dad many times. I remember any time that you were new to one of my dad's teams— my dad would say, before we go any further, I want everybody to know you have not agreed to take part in a democracy. You have not agreed to take part in a constitutional republic. This football team and this football program is a dictatorship, and you're looking at the dictator. <laughs> and, uh, and, and he said, and if you can't handle that, save yourself trouble now and get up out of here and leave and go somewhere else and then sit in the stands and tell everybody how great you could have been if I hadn't been so mean to you or if I hadn't wronged you or I hadn't given you your opportunity. So, uh, so anyway, uh, th th but here's the thing. We should not have any pushback. I know our flesh wants to push back on that because there's nothing more wonderful than living under the complete authority of a benevolent king a king that says, I will sacrifice my own self for you. My love for you is perfect. My kingdom for you is perfect. You will never want or need ever again. And also, now that we've resolved this sin issue, all the things that were the curse of that sin, they're all gone now. And we will live in perfect harmony with the one and only living God. We will actually be thrilled to be his bondservants. It will be an honor. It will be wonderful. It will be nothing but continuous joy. We, we will serve and worship him forever. Okay, but here's what's something kind of cool, though. All right, here's something kind of cool. 
Not only will we be the bondservants of the one and only living God, and we will be thrilled with that. Not only will worship just flow from us uncontrollably, and we'll be thrilled with that. If you have your Bible, look at, uh, look at the Gospel of Luke, because this is something that you certainly only get from a benevolent king. Okay, So let's go to Luke 12. If you, if you, you want to hold Revelation 22 and go over to Luke 12. Let's look what, uh, what, what we hear in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, in Luke 12, and we're going to be in verse 35, okay? Now, now here's some of those words that I told you all to, 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 that you may not like. Here's what Jesus Christ says. This is Jesus. You must be ready, is what it says uh, uh, in my Bible. Stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast. Remember, we're being told how we should be living in anticipation of everything we're learning about the Revelation. So that they may be open, so may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Blessed, listen, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service, Jesus, and have them, the saints, recline at table, and he will come and serve them. Now you tell me a human dictator king that says, I'll serve the bond servants. But apparently Jesus will. Not only will we be serving the one and only living God, how about the lamb will serve us and say, recline, I'll take care of you. Now you tell me another king that would do that. Well, there, there isn't one. Uh, but we will be with the one and only benevolent king. So then when, when you see here in... Uh, in verse 4, it says, they will see his face, uh, and his name will be on their foreheads. I, I want you to look at this. Verse 4, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their forehead. The saints will see God face to face, and up to this point, that has been impossible for mortal man. We will see Jesus face to face. These are the the, the privileges of the inhabitants of the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. We see him face to face. That, that has never happened and will never happen until that moment. If you have your Bible, let's go to 1 Timothy. Uh, let's listen to the Apostle Paul writing to Timothy about this very thing in chapter 6, uh, and look at, uh, look at verse 16. Chapter 6, verse 16. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy. He says, um, He will display at the proper time he who is blessed and, and, and only sovereign king of kings of the Lord of lords, and that's 15, now look at 16, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, which no one has ever seen or can see. Not anymore. Paul says, look, now right now, that's not going to happen. But when we, when we go to the new heaven and the new earth, we will finally be able to. So any amount of power the Holy Spirit has given you and given me, it's going to pale in comparison because we right now, because of our sin nature and our flesh, it is impossible for us to approach the one and only living God until we have been glorified. And when we have been glorified, we've been justified, 
hopefully you have, we're now being sanctified, and then when we are glorified, we will be able to say there's nothing between us anymore. I see you as you are. And it won't kill me because Jesus has made me righteous. You also, if you want another cross-reference, Exodus 33.20 talks about this, and then John uh, chapter 4 discusses this as well. So the name on, on the forehead, what, what does that mean? The name will be on the forehead. That's just John being, being told by this angel. He's being told, look, let me tell you something. When all of us are there and all of you are there, there will be no doubt who you belong to. There'll be no doubt to you who you belong to. And then, of course, we know that John comes back in five, and then he repeats everything about the magnificence uh, of heaven and, and, uh, and, and the light that is provided uh, again. So he doubles down on that. But then he adds uh, a final crescendo uh, that the heavenly experience of the saints will never end. It will never end. Now, why is it important that John is saying this? All right, let's flip back over to the early part of our study. Let's go to the Revelation. Let's go to chapter 3, Revelation chapter 3. And, and, you know, we're, we're talking about the, the letters to the churches, and, and then we get down uh, to, um, uh, to 21. This is the church at Laodicea. And, you know, at the end of every, church, every letter, Jesus has said, but the one who overcomes or the one who conquers, and then he says there's a reward for that. Make a note of that. There's a reward for that. Now look what he says in 21. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my Father on his throne, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So here he is again saying the ones who conquer, the ones who overcome, the ones who are steadfast, steadfast, the ones who, 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 who are not faithless, who don't fade away, uh, the ones that have done what I said to do, I'm going to grant them the opportunity. They're going to sit with me on my throne just like I'm sitting there next to the Father. And, and, and that will never and turn over to Second Timothy. Second Timothy. We looked at First Timothy. Now let's look at Second Timothy. Second Timothy. Listen what the Apostle Paul says to young Timothy in, in chapter two, and then we're going to go to verse twelve. Here's what he says: The saying is trustworthy. You see that right above that from Paul in eleven. Now look at twelve. If little word, big big meaning. I remember learning that from the first pastor who ever discipled me, Jerry Starlin. He said, if, it's only got two letters, it's a little word, but it's big in Scripture. Okay, here we go. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he, uh, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. But look above that. If we deny him, he will also deny us. Does that mean that our salvation goes away? We know in Matthew 10, he says, if you acknowledge me before men, mankind, I will acknowledge you before the Father. If you won't, I won't. Now, some people say that, well, that just means that no one who's truly been transformed will coward out and not acknowledge Jesus, so he knows they're not the real deal. I'm okay with that. But then there's others who say, well, no, he's not talking about redemption. This is talking about rewards again. You're not going to sit up there in the New Jerusalem and be somebody who denied him, even if you were justified. So you may, you're going to be there, but you, you're not going to have the same privileges as those who were trustworthy. You can take either one of those you want. Both of those theories are out there. And the, and, but the bottom line is the beauty here is glorious, no doubt. But the most glorious reality of all will be, and this is great. I want you all to think about this, and it should be an uncontrollable amen. 
all this beauty is incredible. But the thing that ought to give us the most hope and, and ought to carry us through the worst days, if you are justified, sinful rebels like Rick Burgess will be made righteous and enjoy an intimate fellowship with God and the Lamb, serve God, and how about this? I, I will. I, the Lamb will be right there, and, and how about this? I will be with God. I will be with the Father. I will be with the, the, the Lamb, the Son. They will reign forever and ever, and guess what? I will be reigning with them. A sinful rebel has that shot. Does that motivate y'all to maybe not 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 think about things that are so meaningless and give them so much value and give this so little value? How is this not the sinner? How does this not get you out of the... How can, honestly, you put your faith in anything else? All the rest of it is temporal. It's all going to fade. It will never last. I mean, think about things that you thought, this is as good as it will ever be. It's over. I mean, you think when I was sitting there wearing old 75, playing high school football, feeling like the king of the world, and I'm thinking to myself, buddy, it'll never get better than this. Unless I keep bringing it up, no one even remembers that. <laughs> if, that if that's where my faith was, that was a mistake. That was a mistake. And I'm going to compare that to the fact that I'm a sinful rebel that has been made fully righteous by Jesus, so much so that I'll be, I'll be there with the Father and the Son, and there'll be nothing between them and me, and I will reign with them forever? I'm a co-heir of Jesus Christ? I'm an adopted son of the one and only living God? I, I hope that means more to you than, than you know what I've noticed, and I've had people say this so many times to me, when the lost look at us and they hear our claim and then they watch our apathy, they go, that's hogwash. There's no way they could really believe that and be so apathetic about it. I saw them at the ball game compared to me seeing them at church. There was no comparison. That's what they love. This is something they hope just keeps them out of hell but it's not of any value to them. Well, hopefully, and we're going to get to that, the revelation maybe shakes us out of that a little bit. So now we're going to see that the redeemed, as we move through what, what I was apparently going to land on, I'd forgotten about three, and five, three through five, but now we're there. But now as we go through six through 12, we're going to see this is important. Now here comes application. Y'all ready for application? Here comes application. So for the redeemed, why do I care about hearing the revelation when I know that I'm redeemed, I know everything, I like hearing all this, but what does that have to do with what I've got to do the rest of today? A lot. Matter of fact, you may change the way you live the rest of your day. I hope. Because it says the redeemed have an immediate response. And how about this? You're going to see that there are going to be four things that are the response to the revelation that we should have right now, not in the future, right now, okay? So we, we, we realize that, that what we're going into, it actually 6 through 21, but we're not going to get that far today. We'll get to 12, hopefully. This is really, have you ever read a book and, and, you, and there, there, what is, there, there is the prologue, right? And, and then there's the epilogue. 
and 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 the prologue would for for the revelation would be revelation one one through three that that's the prologue. Let me tell you what this is. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is what's going on here. Let me set up this book of the revelation for you. Here's here's your your prologue, and it, and and it says you know uh, behold I'm coming quickly uh, you know and all this. But then then you get into the epilogue. And what we're going to read the rest of this revelation is the epilogue. It's going to be John being told by this angel and and being told by Jesus, "Here's here's what y'all here's how it all kind of ends. Here's what you need to know." So we we see that the the one thing that that it, he he's telling us is you're going to see especially when we get to 7 we need to be living our lives. Now for some of you there's going to be pushback and that's okay. That's fine. Because I'm going to fix that too, even if we disagree. You're still got. You're still in the same boat. If you do not agree in the rapture, and you do not agree in pre-trib, and you do not agree that the church could be raptured at any time, that's okay. Okay, but I will tell you that everybody in Scripture that was part of the church kept thinking Jesus was coming back while they were alive. So I have to ask this question: Why? Why do they think that? Okay, why? Why do they think that? If if they if they know all the prophecies, most of them were Hebrews, so they they know what the prophets said. They we know that the those that started the church walked around with God as a man. They heard him talk about in Matthew twenty four. They heard him talk about this. They heard him talk about that. And when when they read all the prophecies, and when they spent time with Jesus. And he ascended. Their thought was, we could all go at any time. That was their thought. Okay, and if you don't believe that, uh, I guess let's go to what we've already studied. And there's many, many more verses about this. But let's go to First uh, Corinthians and look look at that again. Let's go back to when we studied First Corinthians. By the way, those archives are available for you if you want those at themanchurch.com if you'd like to study some of the other studies. So here we go, chapter 1, verse 7. Here is Paul writing to the church at Corinth, and here's what he says. So that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift, because remember he talks to this church about them being arrogant about their spiritual gifts and not using them correctly, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. You're, you're waiting on it. Now, now let's look over at 1 Corinthians 4, and then let's look at, at 5. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 5, and, and you see that well, here's what Paul says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purpose of the heart that each one will receive his, uh-oh, commendation from God. So he's saying, be sure you don't cast the wrong kind of judgment. Be sure you're ready so if the Lord comes, be sure that you're not doing anything that's going to be brought to light. And because when Jesus comes, uh, the purpose uh, of your heart will be shown, and each one will receive his commendation from God. Well, he's not talking about lost people. He's talking about the redeemed. So apparently the redeemed are going to hear something from God about the way they've been living their life. And some will be commended. So then, then again, let's go to 1 Corinthians 16, 22. 1 Corinthians 16, 22, you, now, this is Paul writing to a church. He's not writing to lost people. He, he's calling out the fact that there's people acting like they're lost in the church. 
But 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 look at this. Here's 21. I, Paul, write the greeting with my own hand. That was important because a lot of people think it was because of him being blinded by Jesus on the road to Damascus or whatever it was. But Paul usually had someone writing and dictating as he dictated. They would write it. And every now and then he'd write something with his own hand, and he always wanted to know, I'm real serious about this. And here's what he said. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. Now, see, he's acting like there's not a lot of time. He doesn't know the timeline. Now, I will say you, tell you, in God's world, it, it, it is a short time because he doesn't uh, see time the way we see time. But then let's continue. Let's go to Philippians. Philippians 3.20. Let's, let's go. Here's Paul in jail. Boy, he'll be in jail in a minute. Uh, and, and Paul is writing uh, to the church at Philippi. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 20. So he, he's been, you know, he's been talking about he's lost all things for Christ. We talked about that a little bit last week. And then he gets to verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he talks about who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject of all things to himself, subject all things to himself. So here he is again telling them. And then look at 1 Thessalonians 1, uh, 9 through 10. Uh, the church at Thessalonica. Uh, this is a church that Paul felt like was doing a pretty good job, and he he was commending them for the job that they were doing but telling them to continue in it. And then when you get to 1 Thessalonians 1, and then you look at verses 9 through 10, he says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for, for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come, which is the reason why uh, I, I find myself in the pre-trib, because we keep hearing from Paul, especially to the church at Thessalonians, that the redeemed are not going to face the wrath of God because Jesus has delivered us from that. Uh, also, look what he said in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12. He now says, keep it in proper uh, perspective, because some of them heard these letters. You know what they said? I'm selling everything. I'm going up on the hill because Jesus is coming back any day now. And he had to go correct that and say, well, now, whoa, wait a minute. I don't mean go that far with it. I mean, be living your life, but you don't knock it out of gear. Look at 10 through 12, as you hear people even doing now because they're scared. You know, the kids are saying they're not going to have kids. They don't want to raise a kid in this world, and they're not going to do that because they know it's all about to be over. Well, we're not supposed to do that either. Uh, for here's Paul. He says, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we hear that some of you, some walk among you, your their idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now, such pers such persons we command, um, we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. What happened is they were so convinced Jesus was coming back, they stopped working. They just went up there and worship, waiting on Jesus to come. And then Paul said, "No, don't do that either." So everybody in the church age. They found themselves anticipating the return of Christ. And so one of the things that we should is we should live our lives uh, like Christ could come any day. And many believe as far as the rapture of the church, everything that needs to be fulfilled has been fulfilled. Now, some of you will push back and say, I'm not pre-trib. I think we go through the tribulation. Uh, I think we go through part of the tribulation whatever the case may be. But I will tell you this. Why do you still need to live your life, even if you don't believe that? Why do you still need to live, live your life like Jesus is going to come any day? Because you may die today. So you don't have to be pre-trib 
to still take this warning because you will encounter the Lord Jesus. He will return to your life when you die. And you could die any day. And I will tell you this, no matter what you believe in your theology, everybody in this room, everybody watching on this camera, everybody within the sound of my voice, live or archived, you are now, as you hear this, you have never been closer to the return of Jesus or your earthly death than you are right now. Never been closer. And so, uh, I mean, some of you may not see tomorrow. I may not see tomorrow. And we've never been closer to that than right now. So when we get into to verse 6, John opens this epilogue, wrapping it up, and he records that the angel, uh, you know, this is the same angel that's been showing him the new Jerusalem, said some words to him. Listen to what he said. And he said to me, the angel, the one who showed him the new Jerusalem, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So we know that the, the, the words that he has told, he said, everything I have been telling you, all that's been told you throughout the revelation, they are faithful and they are true. He said to me, these words are faithful and true. There's validity to everything that you have seen and heard. Now, we do know that God himself said this to, to John back in chapter 21, verse 5. He said himself, these words are faithful and true. We also know that faithful and true appears twice in the Revelation as a title for Jesus. Back when we were in chapter 3, verse 14, two names for Jesus were what? Faithful and true. In 19... Here he is coming down for, for, for the war, and it says that his the name written on him was faithful and true. So we know that these are not only things that God has said to John, things the angel has said to John. These are things that are literally, literally used to describe Jesus himself, which means this. Everything we've studied up to this point and will continue to study but we don't have much left. So everything up to this point, all the words of the apocalypse are faithful, they're true, and they are as faithful and true as they were said. They're also as faithful and true because that of the person who has said it, because what is the revelation? The revelation of Jesus. <clears throat> so not only are these words faithful and true, reliable because they've come from one of God's angels and they've come from God, they're also faithful and true because they're Jesus' name. Anybody doubt his validity? <clears throat> Anybody doubt his, that, that what that anything about him is true? So this is why I want to make sure we, we get on this and land on this. Listen to me. This is important because I know how the revelation gets treated sometimes. We talked about this way back on the probably the first session <clears throat> Excuse me, that we did and you remember the one thing I warned you about. This is not a mysterious fictional story that we all get and go, ooh, this is, look at all this. Look at all the four creatures and look at all this symbolism. Look at all, this is not what this is. And I want to drop that attitude completely. We are not hearing some bizarre dream that, that John had on the island of Patmos. What we are hearing will all come to pass. This is the truth. It is a warning to the unrepentant, 
it ought to be a motivator to to the repent to to those who are justified who have repented to the redeemed and also a, a little bit of a warning for us too that we need to be careful how we're living our lives okay john then tells us that all the prophets and everything they've said is also true all of that came from god and keep in mind if we know that everything the prophets of the Old Testament, that there's things they told us that have already happened, just like God said they would, they would, Jesus' whole birth, where he'd be born, all these things, they got all that right. So what John is hearing from the angel, God's already on record that when he says something's going to happen, it does. So what you better take away is whatever he says is yet to happen, that's going to happen too. Amen? Okay. So if Jesus said, I'm going to walk out of the tomb, and he did, well, then when he says, let me tell you what the future looks like, I'd go ahead and write that down too because that's going to take place. And that's what John is being told. They must take place. Things have been fulfilled. And you know what else is going to be fulfilled? The revelation. It's going to happen. Uh, the reality of our Lord's return, and it, it could be imminent. I mean, and, and, and it demands four responses on part of everyone who has been redeemed. And all of these should be immediate. Look at verse 7. Here comes the first one. So let me say that again. Christ's return is imminent. And because that is true, there should be four responses from all the redeemed. Notice I'm not talking about lost people. It goes back to this again. I'll tell you what the message to the lost is. Repent. Repent and leave faith in yourself and place yourself your, your faith in Christ. Everything else that we read is about what we're supposed to be doing after that. We must, we must, we must, we must stop treating justification like the end. Justification is the beginning. It is not the end. Now our instructions on what we do now that we're justified. Number one, immediate worship. And behold, I am coming soon. The words of Jesus. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay? Now, so what what does this look like? Because the first thing we have to get before we get to, to the worship part of worship, the first thing that we're being told in order to be in proper worship, now this is important, is what? Immediate obedience. Listen to what he says. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of the book. So I, I skipped to two. So the, the, the first response is actually immediate obedience. Keep my word. John 14, 15. If you love me, you obey my commands. If you haven't studied John 14 in a while, go back there because Jesus says, anybody who claims they love me but they don't obey me, they're a liar. The ones who, who don't do it, they're, they're, they're liars. We hear that Matthew 7 says this, only those that obey the will of my Father will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The rest of them is just mouth. It's just, it's just talk. It's just words. It says, you know, hold fast is not just, uh, you know, uh, uh, you, you don't just hold fast to Scripture for your own benefit. He's also saying we also stand up and we defend Scripture, right? Look, Remember how many times I've told you about 1 John? I mean, I just wallow around in First John because when I start studying First John, I realized pretty quick that Dallas Willard was right. We have taken the power of the gospel, and we've sold it pretty low. Look, look at First John 
chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. So we know that he's the, he, he, is, he is the payment for our sins. He is the only payment for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him. Oh, my goodness, look at three. If we keep his commandments. And by this we know that we have come to know him. So how do I know if I truly know Jesus? You obey him. That, that's, a, that's an uncontrollable response. To not obey him means I don't really know him, so if I don't really know him, there's no way I can love him, so if I don't love him, I don't obey him. Jesus just said if I loved him, I would obey him. How do I love him? i got to know him. How do I know him? One way is through prayer and studying the Word of God. You know, go, I, 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 you've heard me say this till I'm blue in the face. What, I, people all the time, men, men will come to me especially say, what I need to do to grow up spiritually? And I'll say it's real simple. Think about everything else in your life that you deem of value and how much knowledge you have about it. However you learn that, apply that to Scripture. Apply that to God. Because men will find a way to be quite knowledgeable in everything they love. And one of the reasons I didn't know Scripture is I didn't love it. I, I hadn't. It, it was of no value to me. Now, things that were valuable to me, I, I make all these complaints that I wasn't a good student or whatever, but somehow I learned all that. And so I just took that same passion, that same commitment, and I applied it to prayer and Scripture and being taught by others. I went to learn. And then when they said, here's how you can learn more, I went and did what they said. And then when I started studying that, it began to uh, it, it became alive because there's power in Scripture, and I began to yearn for it. And at this point, I've become to the point that it's my world by Jesus Christ, not by me, completely transformed my life. And I can honestly tell you, I'm not, this is not me saying what's appropriate. I can honestly tell you, if you know me, you know that it's true. My life has been completely reversed. I, at one time, I had to pretend to care about things of God. Now I have to pretend to care about anything else. That the other stuff just it, it it has no no I have no desire for it, and and any of it could go and I'd be fine. Any hobby, any whatever. If he wants to change what I do for a living, whatever. It it doesn't matter, as long as I got him. And and, and you know if we can talk about him, then you're gonna have my attention. If we're gonna talk about things that are frivolous, I'm probably gonna fade on you. I mean, I've had people trying to tell me, you know, something about the game, and I'll just kind of wander off into going, I, I, I wonder, I wonder w- w- what's the next thing we're going to learn in Scripture. I, I'm so excited about the next thing he's going to teach me. And you know why? It's eternal. This is all that matters, guys. I, I hope you all understand that. So he says that, that, that in order to keep the revelation, in order to, 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 to be where we should be, it's just what I just taught, we have got to say to God, change my desires. We think that God's here. When you, if, you, if you watch some of the false theology and some of the charlatans out there, we think that God is here ready to give us our desires. That is not what Scripture says. Scripture says he's here to transform and change our desires. And we should desire heaven. Do you honestly think that what we've been studying here is better than this earth? Okay, I hope so. Desire holiness. Now that one... I don't want anybody to say you desire holiness when you know you don't. Because I certainly took a, that. They took a long time to get to that one. Do you desire holiness? You also said we should desire to see Christ be vindicated. 
We should desire to see the day when he stands up and every tongue confess and every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. He's vindicated. All of you who opposed him, you were wrong. He is truth. He is faithful. He is true. He is the Lord. And him being triumphed over his enemies. And we should understand that fearful judgment awaits those who refuse to repent. And we should care about that. Why? Because he said to. He said, I provide a redemption. Now go tell everybody. Be a disciple. Make disciples. Teach them all that I have commanded you. I'm going to say it again because we learn by repetition. Raise your hand if you think that you can teach somebody something you don't know. If you came to me and you said, Rick, my whole eternity is based on whether you can tell me how to take a carburetor, take it apart, and put it back together. I need that information. I hope you have it. I understand Jesus told you to know that. I'd be like, I don't know. I can't help you. I'm sorry. What if Jesus said that to me? What if he said, you need to be able to teach, teach people how an automobile runs, and you do that until I come back? Right now, y'all would all be in a lot of trouble if you needed that for eternity. So where do we get off walking around unable to teach people exactly what Jesus told us to teach them? Do you have any desire to know that? You guys seem to because you've been very faithful to this. Thank you for that. Um, and so, but, but I remember a time when I was not prepared for that. But we should care about that. And, you know, Peter, you've heard me reference this a lot in First Peter um, uh, three, when he talks about really the revelation, he says, God's going to come back and he's going to kill everybody who opposes him. And God's going to come back. And this whole world that we have right now is going to vaporize and burn. And then what does Peter say? And you think since we believe that, that we would live lives that were godly and holy. Well, that's really what the revelation is saying. Is this, are, what's your response to the revelation? Is your response to this, is you change the way you live? So obedience should be immediate, and here's the other one that I skipped ahead to, and then immediate worship. Look at, look at verses 8 and 9. <clears throat> and I, John, am the, one, am the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me, but he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book, worship God. I love that John's going, look, I'm going to tell you something. I messed up. My immediate response to hearing this was to worship an angel, and I should have never done that, and I got corrected on that. What I should have heard, done, the minute I heard the revelation, I should have begun to worship God. And he, he's, he reminded us of his mistake. Why is he reminding us of that mistake? So we don't do it. You ever been around these people obsessed over angels, spirits? They're obsessed with it. And, and, and I'm glad that God has angels, and I'm glad that there's angels apparently that are, that are among us even when we don't know it. But let me tell you what we don't do. We don't worship angels. We don't worship Mary. That'll get me some email this week, won't it? Huh? We worship God. We don't worship the disciples. We don't worship, uh, you know, we don't worship, as I said, the, anybody that is, is an angel or anybody who is a created being by God, we don't worship. We can hold them in respect and we can, we can, we can be reverent about them, but we don't worship them. Uh, if you have your Bible, let's go to Colossians. Colossians 2, 18. You're, you're going to see Paul actually takes this on. 
uh, talking to uh, uh, the Colossians because apparently this was this was an, an, an issue for them, and uh, and he takes them to task over this. Uh, and if you, Colossians two eighteen, um, when he says this sixteen seventeen, I hear it. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on. Now this is talking about the worship of ancestors. Do you see that? Insisting on the worship of ancestors and worship of angels going on in detail above visions. Hey, he said, don't let anybody take you down to worshiping your ancestors. Don't let anybody take you down to worshiping spirits. Don't let anybody take you down to worshiping angels. And you know what? His response is, John said, look, if you have if you have studied the revelation and you have applied the re- revelation, immediate obedience, immediate worship, and you worship God and God only. I want to ask all of us, can we be honest that God's the only thing we worship? Be honest now. Some of the stuff we do borderlines on 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 idolatry and worship. What what did we learn from from the late Adrian Rogers? Anything that we value more, anything we serve more, anything we fear more than God is an idol. Okay, so I want you to think about: it. Is there are there things in your life that you serve more than God? Things in your life that you value more than God? Things in your life that you fear more than God? So immediate obedience, immediate worship, that's us right now. And then in 10 and 11, immediate proclamation. Let's look at 10 and 11. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. You hear the time is near again? Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. What in the world? Uh, do not seal up the prophecy of this book. Don't seal up the words. Don't keep this to yourself. Don't don't take this revelation that you just got from God and just go throw it somewhere in a drawer and shut it and not tell anybody about it. Now, why is he saying that those who hear it continue to be filthy and the ones who are doing wrong continue to do wrong? What he really means there is don't if, – if, if we – here's what he means by this. You and I have no control – over people's response to what we say about God. We have no control over that. And he says, but here's, here's what John warns again. Don't let the filthy and the wrong continue that way and not hear the revelation. Now, look, if they hear the revelation and they continue in that way, let it be. But at least you can move on knowing that you told them the truth. Don't seal this up and people not hear it. And then he says what we're talking about. And don't hide it from the righteous. Why? Doesn't it encourage you? Doesn't it help you? Aren't you growing up listening to it? Don't keep it from the righteous. Uh, They'll be ensured that they're on the right path. Uh, The revelation will fit their lifestyle. And and, and don't don't hold it from the holy, those that are are doing what they're told. If if they're living the life and they're denying themselves things and they're trying to be more like God and they're not going to surround them things with things that are unholy, they may be going, I wonder if this is what I'm supposed to do. Well, if they hear the revelation, they go, I'm on the right track. So the filthy may 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 come at a conviction. If they don't, let them go on. And the wrong may may say I'm not I'm doing wrong, and they may repent. But if they don't, let them go on. And the righteous need to hear it to be encouraged, and the holy need to hear it to be encouraged. Do not keep this to yourself. So I'll, I'll, let me ask you and me that: Is that our immediate response? Do we go out and say, "Look, this is the most important thing. I, 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 the most important thing in the world is 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 Jesus Christ and the gospel." What God has done through Jesus is the most important thing. I must proclaim it wherever I go. 
What, what did Paul say? Woe to me if I don't preach the gospel. Do you live your life that way? Do I live my life that way? You know what I tell men all the time? I said, all I got to do is to get in your vehicle or you get in mine. And those of you that are all over the country or even around the world, we live about, according to what the traffic is, anywhere from two and a half to three hours from Atlanta, according to how the traffic works going in and out. All we'd have to do, it wouldn't take long. That's not a very long trip. We could just get in the vehicle, and I'll take one trip with you to Atlanta and back, and I'll know what you care about. You know why? Because you'll rattle on about it. That's all you'll want to talk about. And so that that's that, and that's fine as long as it's the right things. And uh, so, immediate obedience, immediate worship, immediate proclamation, and then the one that uh, that right now in most churches and most everywhere you go, about twenty percent of the church will do immediate service. I don't ask me to do anything. I'd rather just be served. I I don't really want to serve the church. I I don't want to serve the kingdom. Uh, please don't ask me to do anything. Apparently, if I'll sit here long enough, these same people will do everything for me. It seems to work out every time. You know why? Because people eventually come under conviction that if you, if you won't do it, I, they, they, they feel convicted to do it. And you know what you're doing? You're abusing that. I know they'll handle it. I ain't doing it. And, and so, but that that really is wrong because look look what look what verse uh, verse 12 says. Behold, I'm coming soon. I'd underline that. I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me. Here we go, here we go, here we go. I told y'all, y'all not going to like some of this today, those of you that don't like this rewards in heaven thing, to repay everyone for what he has done. That's not talking about salvation. Hey, know that I'm coming soon. How many parables did he give uh, the uh, apostles and the people that he was teaching walking around about this? He talked about this all the time. And he did the parable of what? The person who has the bond servants comes back, and those that uh, were doing what he said to do, they get rewarded, and those that weren't, they don't. Who do you, what do you think that's about? That's not about being lost. That's not about redemption. That's about the people that are already redeemed and belong to the master. And here he, he says this as clear as it can be said, the words of Jesus, Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recom- recompense with me, why? To do what? To repay everyone for what he's done. Well, I don't know any other way to re- read that than rewards for what they have done. And what, what for what? Service to Christ. So if you want to cross-reference this, you can go to Mark chapter 13, and, and it's one of these things I, I told you. And it says, really, the more faithful someone is on earth, the more that person will be given, and listen to what I'm talking about, there'll be more opportunity to serve in the new heaven and the new earth because Jesus told us, if I can trust you with a little bit, I can trust you with a lot. Well, that's not talking about redemption. We don't earn redemption. I mean, I'm going to say this over and over. When you see us being told to do things, it's not for redemption because we've been told that we don't earn redemption. But we are told that works and fruit flow from redemption, and uh, and that's real clear in Scripture. And, 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 you know, you may think to yourself, well, I don't think it matters. I'm good with taking, you know, 
just barely trying to get into heaven, that, that's certainly fine with me. Being there is good enough for me. And you know what? I'm just going to tell you that's a dangerous theology. Because the, the danger in it is, why is it you feel that way? So Jesus' conviction and motivation has that little impact on what you do. See, that doesn't really sound like somebody who knows and loves Jesus, does it? That you could so easily not do anything. You could so easily not obey. You should so easily not serve. I would, I would personally be concerned about that because I remember when I was that way and I had to come to the conclusion the reason why I was that way is I was just lost. I believe the right things, you know, just like the demons do, just like Satan does. But I, did, I didn't have any fruit of transformation or redemption in my life. So in, in, in Mark, the Gospel of Mark, if you want to go there, uh, chapter 13, looking at, um, at 33, he says, Be on guard, this is Jesus, be awake, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. So servants means what? That's redeemed people. That's not lost people. You're not a servant of Jesus if you're lost. Okay? Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come suddenly and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. But why am I, why, why? Why am I staying awake? Well, I'm not staying awake to be redeemed. I'm staying awake to be rewarded for my obedience to the master. The knowledge that Jesus could return at any moment, it does not lead to idle waiting for his coming. If you, if, what he's saying is if you're right with me, then you will have a desire in your new redeemed spirit to be diligent, to be obedient, to be worshipful, all in service. Diligent, obedient, worshipful service to God. And then what else? An urgent proclamation to the lost. That's the balance. I'm redeemed, so I am called to do two things. Obey God, diligent, worshipful, obedient service, and proclamation to the lost. Serving his church, serving, helping, moving, being about his business, and then everybody, it's called to make the proclamation of redemption only in Christ to the lost. And I guess what I would say, wrapping this up, since, since we have the response to the revelation, and we'll finish it next week, how are we doing on that? See, everything we've, you know, I've noticed you, you go through the revelation, you start thinking futuristic, futuristic, futuristic. But there's an awful lot of right now, right now, right now. As you prepare for the futuristic things of the revelation, let's ask ourselves this. How are you doing on the things you should already be doing? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and thank you for this challenge. But at the same time, 
the reassurance and the peace and the joy and the encouragement that comes with all this. Lord, I, I can just speak from experience, and I certainly have a long way to go, and, and uh, I fail you more times than, than I'm comfortable with, but I hope those times of failure have become less and the time of my obedience become more. But, Lord, you sure do make this easy, too, because I have found that being in service to you, that nothing quite compares to how wonderful how meaningful, how beneficial that is. As you said, you're, the burden to obey you, that's, your, your burden is, is light. It's, it's, it's not cumbersome. It's full of blessings. But sometimes we don't know that because we haven't yet started doing that, and we don't know till it starts. I pray, Lord, that we know that just in this room right here, not even counting the people that are listening and watching all over, but just in this room, if the men in this room, if we all decided to be obedient and to apply to what we just heard, we could change the world through the power that is you working through us. In your name we pray. Amen.